Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Of ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Hey, Traff and Susan. Hey. Hey, everybody loves us. We're Hello. just walking around, you know, making out in the library, making out in the, making out in the parking lot of the old co-op, making out in the parking lot of the new co-op. Well, PDAs are our MI, MO. Oh, my PDAs, God. PDAs we're we're are, so hip. We're talking exclusively in, in abbreviations <laughs> and emojis. Oh, my God. Suez Box Office Podcast. This thing's going like bananas. It's going like gangbusters. We should have like t-shirts start to be printed, visors, beer koozies. Yeah, you name it. Guitar straps. Guitar picks? Sure. <laughs> guitars? Actual guitars? Like oh, Fanny the, packs? Um, ooh, I love fanny, fanny packs. packs. Sure. You, you know, we should run our own fanny pack company no no i no, think no. we should i don't understand why this is a thing again fanny packs okay you know? what would be the name of our fanny pack company i don't know i have got it all right as soon as you said it, i was like i'm oh, scared i'm just okay. I'm, he already knows what it's called yes. he's asking the question usually well all right what would we call our fanny pack company Raphael? flin flon fanny packs stacked and jacked <laughs> stacked and jacked that might be another good name for our show. Especially in the bag. <laughs> All right, so everybody's talking about the Sewer Box Office podcast. Uh, how we came up with this. I, I like the name. I think the name's kind of cool. Because we were thinking of... A lot of names of were tossed around. Stack and Jack. I was thinking it was something with the stack, like stage on the stack or something like that. And Susan was like, everybody's the stack's about the stack. <laughs> that, that's my Susan impression. Thank you. That was, that was bang on. Uh, that was... <laughs> That was, wow, wow, you got both <laughs> sides of my personality there. Wow. But I like the sewer box because I remember as kids, like, as the sewer boxes, they were sometimes, you know, meeting places and, and playing grounds, and you would sit, and you'd say to your friend, maybe, well, meet me on the sewer box, or walk on the sewer box, and I'll meet you halfway, or let's go sit on the sewer box, and, you know, whatever. It was just a very kind of a good little place that you could hang out and, and have a chat. Yeah, so the Sewer Box Office podcast, we thought, okay, Sewer Box, Sewer Box Office, that's kind of like, we're, you know, an arts kind of flim flon arts council mm -hmm. thing, so we thought that would be a cool thing to call this thing, so we're on SBO, we've, done we've almost done hundreds of millions of episodes, so this is going to be Craig Part 2, mm -hmm. Tokyo Drift, and this is Craig in flim flon, sort of just showing up, just so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. We were not, we were on, on part one. He talked about his band, like, oh man, it was playing, you know, Fallout Boy and mm -hmm. My Chemical Romance and all this kind of stuff. But he took a long break from drumming and yeah. picked it up again when he came to Flint. When Flint, he so, came to yeah, town, yeah. The great uh, Edgar Wright told uh, everybody, this guy plays drums, everybody, this guy Ratted plays him drums. Out. Ratted him out. So, yeah, so that he was in like, Miz, he was in Greece, and pr pretty much performs all of his spare time <laughs> rehearsing and doing Johnny's Social Club stuff. He does all the cool Johnny's posters. So kind of a cool chat about how he is really one of the uh, pillars of the local music scene and what's it like to be a, a flin flon rock star. Absolutely. He is, uh, he could be, and I'm not, I know this is, he could be the next Lane Ladder route. 
I don't know. Those that's the the the, the present lane ladder is still. <laughs> you might have something to say about that. Okay, so this is <laughs> this is uh, Mr. Bancroft chatting with us here on the Sewer Box Office Podcast. Paula Warner and Joan Rivers. Joan, I've got a delicious way to watch my figure. Everybody watches your figure. It's mine that's the disaster. Would you believe this is form fitted? Well, I'll try my diet Fago Frosh. Very funny. You tell me it's diet and you give me regular. It's diet, Bagel. Look, I love it. It's a proven fact. If I love it, it's fattening. This is not diet. If it tastes too good to be diet, it must be diet, Bagel. Joan, it is diet, Bagel. Diet. If I drink this, will I look like you? Oh! So, how? what is the process of becoming a teacher in Flin Flon? Were you recruited? Did you send out resumes everywhere? Do you have to go on some sort of, like teacher Kijiji. Yeah, there's kind of like a portal. So typically teachers use something called Education Canada or Apply to Education. And these are like the two main websites where they have Canadian-wide and international postings. And so <clears throat> I know for Apply to Education, you actually have to pay to apply to these schools. It's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty sneaky thing. For Education Canada, when I got here in Flint Flint, I, I paid nothing. Um, I just went on the website at this point, I was actually teaching on a reserve in northern Ontario. I was teaching grades 6, 7, 8 at a school called Bima Chikama. And so this is like a large Ojibwe um, community. And so I was there for a year and realized I kind of liked, you know, the north. I really had never been anywhere north. And so this is sort of near like Sioux Lookout, Ontario, or like Dryden. It's all in like that Fort area. Fort Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was there for the year. And uh, it was getting close to the end, and I thought, you know, I don't want to teach here anymore, but I kind of like being up here. I like the winters. I mean, well, I did. You have <laughs> and, to. <laughs> and uh, so I thought, I'm going to go on uh, Applied Education, or uh, Education He's Canada. He's doing the, the typing hands. Uh, yeah, I'm well, doing for, for all yes, of our very animated. Yeah. Yes. That. When he talked about airplanes, he made the little wings and things. <laughs> uh, and so... I think it was during the spring break, like the March break, that I applied randomly to a couple different schools. Saw Flin Flon, had never even heard of Flin Flon. Sounded like, you know, some Dr. Seuss made up word. Not far off. <laughs> had no idea what it was. Applied, and randomly they got back to me. I remember being at school, and my principal came in and said, you know, uh, there, there's so-and-so on the phone from Flin Flon uh, about an interview. I was like, oh, gosh, okay. Um, and so it wasn't long until after that we did a Skype interview back in my place. And uh, I found out a little while after that I was offered the job. So I ended up finishing off that school year and went back home to Windsor. Ended up getting a vehicle. It's my first vehicle that was uh, my own. And uh, packed everything I could fit in my Jeep and just drove up here randomly not knowing anything. Like three days of... Three days of what? Like driving? Three days of driving, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, the neat thing is the school division pays for your relocation. So I knew I was going to take the Canadian way, which is the longer way. But just because I had never really driven a long way on, like, the Trans-Canada oh, Highway. It's like a Joshua Jackson film. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I knew if I saved all my, my receipts and, and such that I'd be reimbursed eventually. So I took my time. I, I enjoyed the drive. And it was a really cool thing. And then I showed up here. I ended up finding a place on Kijiji because I wasn't granted permission to Traders Post yet or <laughs> the, the other various groups where you can find living, like yeah, housing up here. Um, so I found a place on Kijiji on Channing Drive near the gas bar. And uh, I, when I was getting closer to town, I messaged the person and said, hey, I'm, I'm almost here. Met them at my little house. I think it was 133 Channing Drive. 
little sort of pink house. Oh, wow. And you know, I think I go buy it on the bus. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's on the main drive. And it's funny because when I was looking at the Kijiji ad, I thought, oh, man, I have, you know, lakefront access. <laughs> I, I look out my front porch and it's fresh water, which turns out to be Ross Lake. Ross Lake, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and so I didn't last long there. I stayed a bit in that place, but then I moved to Hill Street, and now I have my own place uh, over by Eddie's on Grandview. So it's my third house already here now. Wow, yeah. it's like a real grown-up. So, trying, trying, so, yeah. So, first impressions of the town. First impressions, it looked run down. <laughs> um, you know, I, I honestly knew nothing coming here. Um, some of the homes seemed a little strange. Also, the other thing was on Google Maps, you can't get a good sense of how up and down and how rocky it really is. So, I remember driving um, and, you know, I saw the KFC. That's the first couple things I'm seeing. And the Walmart and Canadian Tire, of course. But I'm driving in, and then all of a sudden I see, like, this big hill you have to go up. It's like, whoa, like, good thing I got four-wheel drive now. Uh, because on Google Maps, it just looks flat. You don't realize how up and down it is, which was <laughs> pretty neat to see. Yeah. So uh, when you came here, was it right into teaching, or did you, as we talked with uh, Natalie mm-hmm. and Noel, when, when did Mark and Crystal take you into their... Mm teacher arts orphanage that they're mm. running well <laughs> so like you play the drums. you're with us now i wanted to arrive a little bit early so i can get settled in my place figure out where the school was get in there and such so i think i came around maybe early august or so and that very september when culture day started and i you know was checking it out as a young eager teacher <laughs> that's when i think in pioneer square i think i met tim and ellie spencer and we, I think they had a little table where uh, they were trying to see how many students from Ruth Betts uh, were there because you could win a pizza party if you had lots of students at Culture Days for maybe dancing down Main Street. That might have been what it was. And then so I started talking to Tim and he found out, you know, I had a bit of a background in drama and music. And that's when he's like, well, well you have to meet so-and-so and you have to go to this and you have to go to that. And hey, Lay Miz is happening. You need to audition for that. And, and I was like, oh, gosh. And then, you know, lo and behold... I think it was maybe a couple months afterwards, I found myself, you know, with the Colts singing a song to see if I was going to be in Les Mis. So it's been a whirlwind since then. So yes, Les Mis, my bit with the girls, uh, Mm. Susan's daughters, is uh, if they are quiet, of course, I will sing the entire Les Mis, (laughs) and I will let them do the children's parts. If they're not quiet, I will sing the entire Les Mis. You don't and like, do the children's parts myself. You don't look happy about that. No, well, I get, we, we put it on the closed captioning, and it's a little karaoke party. If they're good, it's, yeah. it's pick a pop, and, and they get to do, <laughs> they get to do the, the Gavroche bit. Yeah. So you this, were you sort of impressed that Flin Flon has this, oh, we're just going to do a giant massive production with professional choreography and direction yeah. here? You know, at first I had no idea what the outcome of this production would be. You know, I didn't think it would be of this magnitude but then when i started realizing uh and hearing the people that were involved it's like oh gosh this is a pretty big deal like this is solid community theater and uh so ann hodges who directed les mis um she actually was a sessional instructor at the university in the dramatic school of arts where where you know i went she actually she she never taught me but um she was there a little bit before i started attending so i thought wow so this is somebody i guess that really knows what they're doing and then of course i heard you know mark play and it was like oh gosh so (laughs) i realized this is a big thing that i was getting involved in so that's what i think i remember you saying you were a drummer 
And then Mark Colt looked at you like you were some sort of chocolate unicorn. And it was like, <laughs> yeah. Sunday at a church, you must be with me. <laughs> I think I think it was Edgar uh, that somehow first uh, figured it out. Because he was involved in Les Mis and he was there. And he, of course, was plugging the community band that plays every Sunday. And so there, once Mark found out, he said, you know, well, why don't you come out and play this Sunday? Uh, we just do a variety of things. And it's a huge range of skill levels. Uh, you know, we have recorder to tuba to you name it playing in this community band. And so at this point, um, I had not played drums since high school. And uh, I was living in my apartment on Hill Street. And I thought, you know, they have some pretty slick little like Roland electric drum kits. And if I get this, I'm, I can just put on headphones and play a bit uh, because I'm not going to bother anybody. And uh, at that point, I thought, you know, I have time after school. I have all this free time when I'm not working. And that was like the, the last time I said that. Being <laughs> um, so they found out I had this little portable electric kit. I ended up bringing that to like St. Anne's Church on one Sunday. I remember playing Billie Jean. It was a whole Michael Jackson medley. And uh, I guess Mark gave me the okay. And uh, since then, you know, the whole wooden wire thing was conceived and Johnny's has exploded. Yes, in, in my notes in the uh, dossier here. Mm. Did you know that would turn into an endless rehearsal session <laughs> and perpetual rehearsing? Well, uh, I guess the short answer would be no. I didn't think it was going to take that much. But, you know, it's funny. We, we have talked mostly, you know, Brent and Mark and, and, and myself about how many songs were learned in, like, a course of a year. And I think they were trying to tally up a number, like... I, over 300 or something and uh you don't realize how much time you spend after work rehearsing there and that's the cool thing about johnny's you know it's gotten to the point where i just leave all my gear there all the gear is there you don't actually have to move things around uh as a young high schooler in open door policy having to move everything from the basement put it in the van drive it tear it down it was a pretty awful thing to do even as like a, you know, we need roadies, man. Yeah, Even though we're in high well, school, we need like get some junior high kids to be our roadies. Yeah. So we had a, a one good buddy that was sort of our roadie, and he took that on very proudly. And of course, my dad is a proud roadie parent. And it's funny that uh, when we did this most recent homecoming in 2017, which I think would be the fa my favorite show I have ever played at the Whitney Forum, uh, my dad got to go. He quickly scooped up one of those homecoming bracelets right at the last minute. And uh, I think he just stood off, you know, stage right and just watched me play the whole time because that would be the first time he's seen me play since high school. And it's sort of like this proud little moment. And it was kind of, you know, cute afterwards when we were packing up at like, I don't know, 1230 or 1 in the morning, whatever it was. He got to help pack up my car with all of my drum stuff. It was kind of a little tender moment we had, you know. He got to relive that again. He got to help me move my, my stuff. So that was nice. So now when you when you perform stuff, are, well, we talked a little bit about this when we had uh, Brett Lethbridge, episode yeah. one for everybody, if you're looking out. Yes. He talked about, like, he had some mentors when, when he was growing up here, and, you know, he's performing on those. Mm -hmm. are, are they kind of, like, mentor-protege type relationship, but it's, you guys are still sort of equals, but they're still older? How is that sort of, that dynamic? Well, I mean, they totally bring a wealth of experience that I just don't have, uh, you know, after even listening to you know Brent's podcast with you for the first episode, and he's talking about all these things that he's done, some things I didn't know that he shared. Um, that experience that they have is uh, is 
it's hard to believe that I'm playing with them and they have that background. Uh, so yeah, totally. I think they are definitely mentors in that sense um, because I just didn't have that playing experience or at least I have, haven't, have <laughs> you know? So I just got very lucky with with arriving here at the right time. And so you guys do all just run the gamut. What sort of music have you been introduced to ever since cu- coming here? Gosh, well, I think uh, if you can dream it and, and put the work in, any kind of style can be done at Johnny's and almost has been done at Johnny's. So up until when I moved here, I didn't really play any other different styles of music. And now we've done everything from some jazzy stuff to Celtic stuff to, oh gosh, blue stuff to sort of like Latin feeling stuff to who knows. I mean, the sky seems to be the limit. So all of that is completely brand new to me. And, you know, I'll be honest, there are times where sometimes it's super frustrating. And not only is it difficult to maybe wrap my head around, but it's not always the things you want to play. Because when you're constantly accompanying somebody, you're always playing somebody else's chosen music. Um, but it, it's always been such a worthwhile, uh, learning experience. And and I think it's made me such a better musician. Totally. Yeah. So what would be the music that you would like to play? What theme nights would you like to do beside a, you know, there Bancroft, the high school years (laughs) unplugged set. (laughs) Well, and, and I think due time there is going to be sort of a johnny's soul train night happening yeah and i think if like the commitments (laughs) well honestly i don't know there hasn't been much planning that's happened yet but i think we're looking at getting a good horn section involved maybe some of those sax players that were involved with the grease production getting some people up here to play for it um but i really like that kind of thing if i could play you know 70s funk soul forever i think that would be the best thing to play you know everything from i don't know i guess like earth wind and fire slide the family stone average white band even uh, cool in the gang there's something uh satisfying about not being able to sit still with the music that you're playing so when you're when you get into that groove and you can just sit back and and just sort of rock out i think that that's my favorite kind of of music to play yeah so in the midst of all this he also helped out uh, cc trubiak with his album yeah so that's the first time i guess you were in recording how is that process is there is there a producer is there (laughs) is is is, Uh, how how is how is that all work because it's it's sort of his lyrics and his sort of vision and you're helping out too but Mm. you're the drummer and there's so much collaboration going on i would say it was extremely laid back in the sense that you know if you were in a city and you're gonna book studio time it costs a lot of money and often you're paying by like an hour or by the session whereas this project could sort of be um developed over a long period of time so he would send things uh and and just want my input i guess so I would, you know, go try something out, see if he liked it. And, uh, I mean, he's such an easy person to work with that it was never, um, it was never work, you know? We just got to play with our friends and make music and ended up, it ended up being a, a great album. And Trevor did, you know, the majority of that, to answer your question. He was, I guess, the producer, the the main technical person in charge of all of that. Yeah. And it was mostly all done in his basement. 
But there was, was there, well, he was kind of a technical producer, but there was no sort of, like, a creative director or anything. Uh, well, I think a lot of that happened uh, without me necessarily being around. You know, you would often see CC posting updates on his social media. Very active social media. He's got that down. Um, he had a whole little team, I think, that he was working with uh, on developing not only that Kickstarter campaign during Trout Festival, but uh, how we can actually take this idea that he has and make it a CD that people can purchase in the end. So I wasn't a big part of that. I was more towards the end where the songs were laid out. Now I'm going to come in and uh, sit in on this and add my bits. Okay, talk about just some of the people that you have played with here. The, the, the Johnny oh, Anti-Social Club Band, um, various other people you've called in or have called you in at the last minute. <laughs> well, um, when it all started... I played almost everything with Mark. I still play mostly everything with Mark. I think just Mark plays every single thing that's happening. And I don't know how he does it. I don't know how Mark and Crystal really do anything. It's funny because yesterday uh, we had a rehearsal. Both Paul and I, Paul Shear, we had a rehearsal just across the street here at Hapnot for the upcoming Imran Jones show. So we were rehearsing right after work from 4 to 6, 6.30, and then we had to run over to Johnny's to practice for this upcoming pride fundraiser this broadway night from 6 30 to 9 30 ish or so so uh the fact that we had to do that in one day i was like oh gosh i'm tired what am i gonna eat and then i realized like well, mark and crystal do this kind of thing like daily i don't know how they keep up with it but uh you know being able to play with so many different people and um learn from all of them like you were saying earlier about them sort of being mentors to me uh, I can, I can sort of take a lot from that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. So, in addition to all this, being being the hardest working man in Flin Flon show business. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, the lead in Greece here, Danny Zuko. <laughs> right. Flin Flon's John Travolta. Did did you audition for for the lead, or were were no. was it were some people born into Danny Zuko and they yeah. have Danny Zuko thrust upon them? You know, it's funny because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. When I said you had to choose between sports and the arts, because in grade you got to try it for the bombers. And <laughs> yeah, oh gosh! In grade eleven, I was actually cast as Kaniki in our school's production of oh, Greece, wow. which, you know, looking back, is a huge regret because I chose volleyball over that. <gasps> I chose the all-Catholic tournament in Toronto to play volleyball instead, and then when I went back and I watched the play, a lot of my friends were involved in that, and I thought, man. You know, I'm kicking myself for not being involved in this and doing volleyball. Um, but yeah, so none of us here in town, I don't think any of the guys, any of the greasers honestly went in and auditioned for a specific role. The girls really had all these things set in their mind and went in very prepared and you know, had their songs, had their scripts, ready to go. And then all of us sort of showed up and it's like, yeah, I'll be... I've seen the movie. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be one of the greasers and um, you know, I'm going to sing this song. I think I sung Grease Lightning because I thought it was one of the easier, lower ones to sing. And then that's when they said, well, why don't you try taking this stuff for Danny out in the hall and come back in 10 minutes and do this. And I was like, oh, okay. And then uh, I was at Johnny's. We were rehearsing for the upcoming blues night we did where I got a call from Crystal and she said, we want you to be Danny Zuko. I was like, oh, gosh, are you sure? <laughs> and then I think I remember saying like... Are you seriously? I, I, I said... 
did you already ask John? Because of, you know, what he did in Les Mis. Sang 24 opera songs uh, for yeah. yeah. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, we want you to do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it didn't really sink in until that one email went out to everyone involved uh, in the Arts Council saying uh, who was billed at, at, with which character. And I was like, oh, man, I really am playing Danny Zuko here. Yeah. So... Had you ever danced before? Uh, not like that. Uh, I mean... Like choreography and... Nothing extreme. Maybe the the obscure, odd movement piece in my undergrad. <laughs> we can call body, that dancing. Body in space. Or <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, but something like this, dancing in a musical, not really. I mean, in grades 7 and 8... I was involved in our school productions. I was in our Beauty and the Beast play, and I was in our Tom Sawyer play in grade 7 and 8. But as a grade 7 and 8 student, there's not much choreo happening. Uh, I can't imagine being the teacher trying to wrangle us all in to do that. But this was the first time I really had to uh, buckle down and learn these things. I remember Janelle, so who choreographed it, uh, at, at 8 a.m. we were like, doing push-ups on the floor in community hall. To, to get ready to start dancing. I remember Lane uh, saying, you know, I, I started jogging because I wanted to be in shape for, for dancing. While smoking still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so no, this, this was pretty new, the dancing. But it's funny, we were just talking about this, Johnny and I, uh, at this recent opera show when we were backstage about how, man, when we were doing those Grease dance rehearsals, we felt so, felt so good. We were in so much better shape, I guess. Uh, because there, it's it's Cause so you have much to dance and sing, so you can't be totally yeah. Winded. And there's that one moment where at the end of Grease Lightning, where we're dancing and singing, and we have to jump up on stage, <laughs> which took a lot of practices. And at the end, it's like, oh gosh, were we even going to be able to make it, like to get on stage without falling? And yeah, we had we had some injuries, but it was good fun. I I miss it for sure. So that was uh, Jackie Lowen directing that, and mm-hmm. Hodges directed Les Mis. Yes. Sort of what were it's it's re- they're, they're both tremendously talented, but it's a totally different kind totally. of style from both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with Anne, I think she just had the entire show memorized. She knew exactly what she wanted to do, and uh, we just had to implement her vision. With Jackie, and I think maybe it's because Jackie isn't uh, super big into musicals or hasn't done as many musicals like myself, um, and so she was a little more open uh, for suggestions. It was a little bit more of a devised process where you almost felt um, you were part of the blocking process. It wasn't already all done. She didn't always have that exact uh, scene staged out in her mind, so we kind of lived it and felt it through and figured out what worked. I think I really liked that for Greece, especially being in that sort of theater in the round setting, because um, we had so much space to work with. It, I mean, it was such a huge acting area. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Mamma Mia. I mean, which is coming up next. What kind of uh, you know directorial vision it's gonna take on? As we've been saying, I think I can sing better than Pierce Brosnan, but I can't <laughs> sing better than Imri. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. <laughs> no that, comment. That, 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 that is the catchphrase. <laughs> so uh, we will uh, we'll wrap up here. Jeez, like mm. this is your life here. This is like 
my goodness, we, we may chop this up into, into two episodes here. Oh. We talked about, um, the, we, we ask people sort of actor studio questions okay. towards the end. And it's what is that magical show that there's just sort of a little fairy dust in the air that you don't really know how it happened, but it just turned out to be that great show. Would that be oh. the 2017 Homecoming? Because I'm thinking there was... 2,500 people in there, probably? Yeah, you emceed it. Hmm? Right? Yes, yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. Well, I couldn't count everyone individually there, Craig. We, we, we hung <laughs> out afterwards. That's right. right. Yeah. I did. We did tequila shots with your dad. It was oh, awesome. Yeah. That's right. It was not my idea to go out after. <laughs> and here's the reason why. But I will say that one was probably a big highlight for me, besides the big Thornley thing. But uh, So, before we played that homecoming show, I knew it was going to be such a crazy weekend, because we were doing... We were, Grease the next We were reviving day. the right. Grease musical the next day. And so I had this great idea. I, I had all my family staying in my house, so I had my little nephew, my brother-in-law, sister, mom, dad, and I, I think my brother or my uh, nephew was maybe napping, and we we're just sort of winding down. This is the night of the show uh, at the Whitney Forum. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in the hot tub and relax oh, beforehand. Yes, I was yes. talking about this earlier. Yeah, we <laughs> yes. that's right. I have a photo of this. So I was like, I'm, I, I have this great idea. It's going to be this serene, peaceful moment. I'm going to sit in my hot tub before I play this show to just mellow out. And I did, and it was great. Um, but then when I got out, uh, and I was all pruney because I was in there for a good 45 minutes, I guess. Again, thought really nothing of it. But then when the, it came time to start playing, and I ended up playing like two-thirds of that show because I accompanied all the Johnny's usual performers, and then I played with the Hanson sisters. So, like, three songs in, I think CeCe's singing, and I look down, and I'm bleeding, and there's, like, blood on the snare drum, and I thought, oh, gosh, what, am I Travis Barkering it too much? <laughs> like, what is happening here? Uh, and then I realized, like, my hands are still tender from my hot tub experience, so they're still kind of, like, raisiny or pruney, and by the end of the night, it was almost that, like, somebody took a cheese grater to my hands, I had so many blisters that would pop, uh, and I was bleeding. The most I've ever bled from my hands ever uh, at this show. And so it was all cool and great and, you know, very rock star. It was my Thornley moment. But it was fine until the next morning when we had to do the grease production, and, like, my hands sort of hardened up. And when I woke up, I couldn't even, like, open up my hands because they hurt so badly. And I remember... I had to get fully bandaged up. I had all these band-aids and tape over my hands. And uh, so when we got changed to do grease, I was trying to tie my shoes and it hurt. I couldn't even put my hands on my pockets to like pull up my fake cigarette. (laughs) And And this is grease. There's a lot of hand driving. There's slapping. There is. And you're slapping your fans on the picnic table, the whole deal. Yes, there totally is. And uh, I, I, I like to think that maybe it worked because, you know, Danny's supposed to be this macho man and, Maybe it looked like he was at home punching walls or something. He got <laughs> frustrated. But it was the worst pain uh, for the next couple weeks until it healed. Yeah, it, I kept a photo of it to remind myself never to go in the hot tub before I played drums, <laughs> Play I guess. for three hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I thought that was the aftermath of the drum jam. No, the, oh, the that was the wrong. That, oh, was, that was in October, so that was, I think, because that, that was, was Culture Days. That yes, was, that was around Greece. Yeah, that would be late September. That was Culture yeah. Days. Oh, that, was that was what? Yeah. That was two hours of non-stop drumming you, Dean Martin, John Betker, in some sort of macho show of who was the toughest drummer in the history of the universe. <laughs> we, we weren't really sure what, was, what that was going to end up being, but I will say this, uh, there is going to be new, um, new stuff happening with that event 
I don't want to release it all. It's very much Dean Martin's um, baby right now that he's working on. So there's going to be some cool stuff happening in September for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Yeah. Okay, we'll uh, wrap up here with our last sort of actors uh, studio question. <laughs> Name three people, living or dead, that you would like to perform with or collaborate with in some sort of performing arts encounter. Mm. Um, as a, a young drummer growing up, I didn't really idolize lots of famous drummers that I think lots of people do. So I wasn't really a mega fan of you know, John Bonham or Neil Peart or anything like that. Uh, I, I did, I did like Travis Barker cause we were really big into the Blink-182, you know, <laughs> we had our van shoes on and we were all about the skater stuff, you know, some 41 and whatnot, but <laughs> back when bands had numbers in their names, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I think if I were to back up any bands and, and, you know, sit in and be their drummer, uh, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. If I could pick that era of maybe mid to late 70s early 80s not just leaking into the 80s not too much 80s but late 70s where these music videos were very uh colorful and it almost looked like something was wrong with your tv and it was just them live performance in a lot of like <laughs> fluorescent right. light yeah. close-ups of the guitar necks and stuff. yeah so crazy horn sections some synth going on and just like I'm playing that four on the floor. I'm just sort of in doing that back groove where I can just settle in. So I guess those bands would be, like I was saying earlier, maybe, I don't know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Maybe um, uh, Chic? Like Le Freak? Like that kind wow. of style music I think I would like to Lips play. Lips Inc. <laughs> yeah, um, average White Band, stuff like that. Uh, or maybe maybe any kind of Motown stuff would be really nice. I guess uh, my innate connection with... Detroit, you know, uh, so something like that. So uh, maybe those three acts, I guess. This is a hard one. I, I would have to really think about it, but I would definitely want to play something groovy that I, and, and funky and soulful that uh, you can really head bob to and get people on the dance floor. I don't think there's anything better than watching people dance to your music. Johnny's is sometimes different where it's a, a crowd that you don't usually get when they're listening so intently which is also equally a really cool experience. But when people are dancing and having fun uh, and it's a good environment and you're playing that funky stuff, that's what I, I like the best. All right, beauty. Well, Craig, mm. thank you so much for sharing with us your, your saga, your epic <laughs> journey from <laughs> Windsor to Detroit to the oh. 70s to the 1950s <laughs> high schools and all yeah. the way back again. Uh, we may have you back for uh, various more chats once we've gone Great. through everybody. But uh, wow! Thanks a lot for your uh, for your candor during this oh, uh, gosh. lovely podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, there we go. That's uh, Craig, Su uh, Susan. You want to ask Craig anything? You know what? I think that um, you pretty much asked it all. We can <laughs> sign off now. Good notes. We can sign off for our all of our sponsors. <laughs> all right. Well, for Susan Gunn and for uh, Craig Bancroft, I'm Raphael Saray saying good night and good podcasting. I'm just so into the listening, I forgot I'm supposed to be asking things. You know, I'm just so... We're still, we're still recording. We're still recording. Just, just explaining that I just got so absorbed in the story that I'm like, oh... I know, he was such a rap right? storyteller. Oh, It's like gosh. the Tom Snyder program. Absolutely. I was afraid you are going to make me take a shot of this Tabasco sauce if I... <laughs> like, just start. in the eye, just in the eye. Maybe a packet here. Oh, yeah, we got, we, that's the lower tier. That's the, oh. the, the tier two stuff. Yeah. That's stuff they give away for free at the uh, KFC. Huh? Shut that.